start being sensible now. Yeah, oh, well, that didn't sound good, did it? <laughs> Let's give uh, Pastor Howard a, a warm welcome as he comes to minister the word for us. To say. What a shame that we've got to start being serious now. Oh. It's so really good to be back in Port City Church. For those of you who don't have a long history, my wife and I were part of Port City Church, Gladstone Christian Family Centre, pre-1991. Some of you aren't even that old. So uh, for those of you who have a little knowledge of us, we pioneered Boyne Island Christian Fellowship in 1991 and uh, have been pastoring that church until just recently. Senior something. Now I'm in the place there's so many issues that come your way as a pastor and now it's an issue comes my way and I go, I don't have to worry about that and send another email to Anthony. Yay! It is so good. And for that reason, I want to encourage you to be very diligent in your prayers for James and Michelle because most of you have got absolutely no idea what they carry in caring for you, in being concerned for your future, for your well-being. So let me encourage you. I, I know what it costs to lead a church, and uh, so I want to encourage you to be ever mindful of James and Michelle and Malcolm and Sandy and all your leaders, praise God. So, uh, did you notice that I'm wearing my favourite shirt today? It was, it was up there. It's, it's, it's my hot preaching shirt, I tell you. And, uh, praise God. <laughs> you can't be finished with mucking round. I'm here. Praise God. Now, in the early days, 20, 30 years ago, I felt it was my responsibility as the preacher to shake your cage. <laughs> Some of you this morning, I'm going to shake your cage. Is that okay? Some of you are going to cheer but some of you are going to feel like I got hold of your cage and gave it a shake. Um, doesn't mean that I don't love you. I do love you. But we have a, such an awesome, incredibly powerful God. So this morning, that being an introduction, I, I want to talk to you about a passage that I don't know how many times I've read 
And I've gone, oh, I don't know why that's in Scripture. It's always seemed a strange passage because it seemed to be out of context with the main character and the main character in the passage is Joseph. So I want to talk a little bit, give you a little bit of background of this man, Joseph, and uh, then we'll come to it and see where we go. So Joseph was eventually one of 12 sons of Jacob, and uh, he was the one that was given the fancy coat, and he was the one who had dreams and visions of his mum and dad and his brothers bowing down to him. And uh, he was the one that his brothers sold into slavery. Are you beginning to get on page with me now? So I'm in Genesis. And, and I'd read it to you, but it's chapters 42 to 45, so we won't read it all. So I just want to give you a little picture of this Joseph. So his brothers sell him off and he's purchased by Potiphar who puts him to work and he becomes Potiphar's number one servant. You know, Potiphar puts him in charge of everything. And I note that throughout Genesis, the scriptures keep saying that God was with him. You know, that God was with Joseph, that he was blessed, that he was prospering. And then Potiphar's wife gets his, her eyes on Joseph because he's such a, a man about town. And uh, dirty scheming woman. And uh, Potiphar believes his wife and Joseph ends up in jail. But it's not long and he, he's fulfilling his destiny in jail. He's, he's a number one servant in jail. Then the story goes on. There's a couple of other king's servants in there and he interprets dreams for them and one's released and one's decapitated. And uh, so Joseph's in jail. And then the king of Egypt has a dream and, and Joseph's brought out to interpret the dream and he tells the king that there's going to be this awesome blessing and then awesome drought. And Joseph, this is real shorthand, I'll tell you, Joseph becomes the two I see. He's in charge of Egypt. In fact, uh, next to Pharaoh, he's in charge of everything. And eventually, his ten brothers who sold him into slavery because of the incredible drought turn up to purchase some grain. Now, and then this is the part of Scripture I don't understand. It's how... Joseph treats his brothers. And maybe you're in the house and you go, well, if my brother sold me into slavery, I'd be really nasty on them. And, uh, you know, I would be wanting vengeance and I'd want to take them down. But that's the thing that 
has never sat right with me because Joseph's a man of integrity. He's a man that God is with. And I just never have been able to picture that Joseph would be vengeful, that Joseph would try to take down his brothers, but it's nearly as if that's what Scripture says. Because the brothers turn up and Joseph recognises them, but they don't recognise him. And, and so he leads them on a merry, merry dance. He accuses them of being spies. He sticks them in jail for three days. And then, then he intimidates them and says, unless you go back and get your other brother, I'm not going to give you anything. Then, then he gives them grain to go back and he puts their money back in their bag and when they find it, they're scared stupid. It's like he begins to play mind games with them and they don't even know that it's a game. And they, you know, the brothers end up back at home with Jacob and, and they're at a loss. They're just not able to... You know, this, this man, like, there's, there's no, not even a hint that he's a friend. He, he's like king of kings, scary dude. You know, because he holds the big stick now. He could take them out, one word and they're gone. And so they go back to Jacob because Jacob doesn't want to hand over Benjamin, the most precious son. Uh, and so they're at home and the drought's continuing and they're starting to starve and, and the sons, the ten sons are saying that the only way we can get grain is take Benjamin back. It's scary for them all. And so eventually... They go back with Benjamin and you'd think it would all be sorted, wouldn't you, you know? So they get back there and, and Joseph's organised for them to go to his own personal residence uh, and they're still scared about the money they found in their bags of grain and, but they do get that sorted out with one of Joseph's guys and they don't understand at all that Joseph sits him at the table by age and superfeeds his younger, his one true brother. And he says to him, Yeah, I'll give you some grain. So again, he gives them grain and he slips their money back in their bag again. But also his precious silver cup. Have you read about the precious silver cup? And they get out on the road and then Joseph sends his manager to go and accuse them of stealing the silver cup. Like, just imagine them, they're on their way out of town, you know. Back they go. Accusation all around them. Can you understand this if he's not vengeful? Can you, if he's not vengeful, what is going on? Because that's what I was asking God. 
I'm not, you know, I'm convinced in my heart that Joseph isn't vengeful. He's not wanting payback. And if he's not wanting payback, well, what's going on here? It's a crazy bit of scripture, but God put it in there. You see, this is one of Joseph's replies. Genesis 45, 7 to 8 says, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. This is what he's saying to his brothers. He's not vengeful. He's got it all worked out. But why is he treating them like some sort of dropkicks? Strange, isn't it? I see you've got a strange look on your face, eh? Well, this is strange. Where's this dude going to go with this passage? Because I could make any theology out of this, couldn't I? Because I've just raised questions. But I'm only going to be able to tell you what I felt like God told me about it. So, when Joseph sends his manager and accuses them of stealing the precious silver cup, they end up back in front of Joseph. And there's two two verses I want to bring to your attention. Genesis, Genesis 44, 16, and Judah answered. So Judah is like the leader of the family. And so Judah answered, Oh, my Lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? Well, they've been accused of stealing a silver cup they didn't steal. Joseph put it in there. (laughs) Can you imagine trying to turn up and give an answer to that? Explain how did the cup get there? And then he goes on and it says, God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. I want to remind you that Joseph, as a young man, had a vision of all of his family bowing down at his feet. And here is 11 of his brothers fulfilling the vision God had given him. Here they are throwing themselves down at the feet of this man who in effect has rule over all of their lives. Joseph's in the position of saying yes or no to any creature on the earth. Because he has all the grain. He has everything that they're likely to need. He has it and he says yes or no. And here they are, the 11 brothers, casting themselves down at his feet 
and saying, we're willing to be your slaves. Now, there's one more There's one more scripture that I saw in preparation to this from Genesis 45, 15. And it's the outworking. To me, it's the conclusion of this passage. It says, Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began to speak to him freely. So the start of this journey, they don't recognise Joseph as their brother. All they see is someone who has control of everything. And when they come and cast themselves at his feet, he reveals who he is and they begin to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. Praise God. I think it might be a good time to pray. Father God, I thank you that there's no hidden things in your word. I thank you, Father, that you are the revealer of truth. And I ask today, Lord, that you would reveal truth to your kids so that they might know more of your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So now I want to tell you what I want to speak to, the topic of what I'm saying this morning, and my topic is being qualified for intimacy. Being qualified for intimacy. You see... The dilemma of this passage caused me to pose a question, God, why is this in Scripture? What, why something that doesn't seem to be right? And I felt like God said to me, he said, have a look at Joseph as to who he represents in the story. And I felt like, Holy Spirit said to me, he's the saviour of the world. He was the one sent ahead to prepare saving grace for the rest of the world. I said, well, okay, if he's like a type of Jesus, and that's, you see, Jesus is the saviour of the world. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one that makes the decisions over everything whether you like it or not. So I felt like God said, begin to look at Joseph from that perspective and then ask yourself, what's happening? And I felt like all of this stuff between Joseph and his brothers was stuff that needed to happen to qualify them for intimacy with him. Let me make this suggestion to you. To have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a requirement for brokenness. 
there is a requirement for absolute surrender. There is a requirement that that thing that's in us that causes sinfulness needs to die. Maybe I could put it this way. We need to be brought to the end of ourselves so that we can have a beginning with Jesus Christ. And I'm very aware after being an observer of people and Christianity that there are many who would say, I am a Christian because I believe this or I believe that. But their character has never been challenged. Their pride has never been broken. They're still as much about themselves as they ever were. And they have failed to meet a criteria where Jesus Christ is the boss of their lives. And they glibly say, Jesus is my Lord, but just watch on. I've been pretty good at watching lives. I've had to. You watch on and just see where individuals are going with their lives. And it becomes, sadly, it can become very apparent who's in charge. It's not Jesus Christ. It's still self. It's still sinfulness ruling in the house. And so, I'm of this understanding for each one of us to have intimacy with Jesus Christ, we need to experience a brokenness. We need to come to a place of surrender where we take him on as the King of Kings. It caused me to look back to the beginning. My memory still reaches that far back. Some of you would wonder. I gave my life to Christ when I was 30. I'd been married four, five years. We had two kids. And for the previous two years, I just wanted to die. God had been a myth and a joke in my life. And then for some reason... Only God knows why. He revealed himself to me. Prior to that, he was a myth and a joke, something to be scoffed at. But he revealed himself so clearly that it left me no shadow of doubt that he was the king of kings. And uh, so he helped me to understand that I needed a saviour. But I still remember the two weeks after that decision. I was tractor driving in those days. I had two weeks where there was just an argument, where there was a turmoil that I couldn't believe and I never want to go near again, where half of me was saying, I really need 
Jesus Christ to be my saviour. The other half of me was saying, Howard, the last thing you need is to have someone telling you how to run your life. Sinful old me was saying, you don't need Jesus telling you how to live your life. You can do it fine. Yeah, I could do it fine. I'd been suicidal. I wanted to be divorced. I wanted to be anywhere else but where I was. And then, in the middle of a day, I turned my tractor off, let the dust clear. And I said to God, as of today, you are my absolute boss. He's never shirked from that. He's kept up his end of the deal. He keeps reminding me when I'm not quite on track with what I said. He's good at that. He's excellent at that. And I'm so glad because he keeps me on track. Because none of us are perfect. We all wrestle with that. But I do see this need. If you want intimacy with, with Jesus Christ where you can guarantee he speaks to you and he works in your life, you've got to come through that place of being broken. Your pride's got to be smashed. Your thinking you can work it out has got to be absolutely destroyed because you can't work it out. You can't save yourself. Only he can save you. And so we've got to put ourselves in that place where we allow him to be who he is. King of kings, Lord of lords. And so that when we say Jesus is my Lord, it's absolutely the truth. It's not a religious thing, but it's absolutely the truth. So I want to just share three or four scriptures as we come towards the end. Maybe a thought first before the scriptures. Two thoughts. How many of us have sat and pondered the role that John the Baptist had? He was sent to prepare a way for Jesus Christ. What sort of picture do you have of this dude that lives in the desert, wears camel's hair shirt, coat, lives on grasshoppers and bees, honey? Okay, give him a big beard and long hair. Does he look like a bogan? You know, he probably looked like a bogan. Now, people from everywhere went to listen to this man and I picture he, he addressed them with a sledgehammer. I, I never, you know, he was a prophet. He was a spam, bam, turn or burn. Not, not pretty, pretty. Okay, I'll just think about that picture. Okay, think about another picture. We've got Jesus told the story of the prodigal son who ends up feeding pigs. 
needs to go home. Dad didn't run out and throw hamburgers over the fence into the pig pen. Dad allowed the pig pen to do the job that, that the pig pen had to do. And the job of the pig pen was to bring this man to the end of his own ability. It's like Father God was sitting in heaven when he gets sick of the smell of pigs, when he gets sick of getting in the garbage with the pigs eating their food. It's a consistent story I'm telling you. God's very interested in using circumstances to bring you to the end of yourself. Here's the sad thing that we could be traveling along the road and, and forget what we put to death. Does stuff want to creep back in? Will anyone say yes to that? Yeah. How many people's sinful nature is absolutely dead, gone and forgotten? Anyone? No. It's always a wrestle while ever we're living. That thing that we crucify in Christ wants to leap up and say, here I am again. Okay, one more picture. I think his name was Simon the Sorcerer. He receives the gospel and then he says to the apostles, give me the ability to do that. Uh, and the apostles say, oh, get out of here. Your heart's not right. You, you're still trying to make something out of this. But, nah, your name's not even truly written in the book. You're not being broken yet. You've not surrendered. Okay. I better finish really quickly now. Three, four scriptures. Jesus said this, John 12, 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in the world will keep it for eternity. It's just a, a preliminary picture that unless you die, you can't live. Have you got that picture? Okay. Romans 6, 1, 4, about baptism. Well then, should we keep on sinning that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus, in baptism, we joined him in his death. Joined him in his death. Joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. In Christ, you can't truly live until you've first died.
And these truths that I'm sharing with you, they're like eternal truths. It's not something that you do once. It's like in June 1980, I said, as of this day, you are my king. I'll do what I've had to tell myself over and over. That's a truth I promised. I have to maintain that now. Can't, I can't afford to be backstepping. Oh, God, I didn't mean that. Oh, man, I've had to pay for that. Because it's a challenge. I could tell you a story. <laughs> Anthony came into the office one day. He said, let's go up to the shopping centre and heal some sick people. I just walked past, <laughs> whispered over my shoulder to him, I'm not up to that. I'm not that in people's face. I get into my office and God said, where are you up to then? <laughs> oh God, come on, <laughs> give me a break. And I said to God, uh, God, I'll do whatever you put in front of me. A couple of days later, I was in here on Tolua, where they make blinds and stuff, and I was paying a bill. And I hear this lass out in the back office. I saw her and sort of heard her. She's whinging about her back. And God said to me, I'm putting that in front of you. <laughs> oh, God. I said to God, how do I get from this side of the desk back to that office? And I'm paying the bill. And just as I finished paying the bill, she walked out into the showroom. Oh, God, come on. So I accosted her. I said, look, I heard you complain about your back. I just want to pray for you. Have you got a couple of minutes? Yeah, so we sat down and I prayed for a couple of times. And, and God was just doing an awesome thing. Got that past and a little sister who'd been watching from behind came right up beside me and said, do you think he'd forgive me of all the things I've done wrong? I said, if you'd surrender your life to him, he'd forgive everything you've done. God's serious about being our boss. God's serious about owning your life. And to maintain that, you've got to be dead. You've got to put the eye thing on the burner and scorch it. I'm still trying to scorch mine. I hope you're doing better than me. Okay, here's the goal for life, I believe. And the climax of what I want to say today. If you could get this scripture working in your life, I would suggest that you're in a really good place. Here's the scripture. Paul, the Apostle Paul said this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. My old self has been crucified with Christ. Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And we can all, we can all say that so easily. 
I've been crucified with Christ and Christ now lives in me. This next bit is the challenging bit to this. It says, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, unless it changed two minutes ago, if Christ lives in you, he's got a voice and he just loves to whisper. He loves to give directions. The question is, Without intimacy, you don't hear it and you don't do it. And if you don't hear it and you don't do it, you need to question whether Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Because that's how his lordship works. He lives inside of us by the Holy Spirit and he whispers the directions. And depending on how dead you are, how dead, more, how well you've been crucified, dictates how well you hear and how well you do. It's very quiet in here. Why am I the only one making a noise? I thought someone would be saying, Hallelujah! Is anyone going to say amen or am I a heretic? I noted, <clears throat> as I looked around, I was just getting a feel for who was here. Far out, hardly recognised anyone, but that's all right. But uh, would you put your hand in the air if you're over under 30? Everyone under 30. I know there's some who left. Jesus Christ turned the world upside down with under 30s. I call myself an oldie today because I'm all but finished my race. But you under 30s, you're the future of the church. And if you don't lay hold of what I'm saying this morning, you won't be the future of the church. God will find a different future in different people. If you've been raised in the church and taken on what mum and dad had, the one thing you can't miss out on is taking on being crucified with Christ and living your life absolutely for him. But if you would do that, you're the future of the church. And then guys like Mal and I, you know, beauty, 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 come on! We'll cheer you on until... You wear the rubber off your shoes and we'll buy you another set. <laughs> Praise God. I trust that you've heard something that will help you in your journey today. I think what I've been speaking about is 
the grace of God that would bring you to the end of yourself so that you can receive everything that Jesus Christ has. Because you can't receive everything that Jesus Christ has if you're still living your life. If you've not died. If you've not surrendered. If you've not come to the place where I can't work this out, I can't do this. So I'm going to ask you all to stand in the altar this morning. That You're in a big altar this morning. I just ask you all to stand. I'll leave you out. You're standing. Outstanding. Praise God. Now, if you're not willing to surrender your life, leave your hand at your side. But if you're willing... Put your hand in the air. Father God, you look down on us this morning and you see our hands raised to you. We declare afresh that we are surrendered to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you, Father God, for your grace and your mercy that brings us to that place where we surrender to you. Holy Spirit, flow in the midst of us. You're the one who gives us life. You're the one who prods us. You're the one who corrects us. You are life and power on the inside of us. Do a work in the midst of us today. Oh, do a work in the midst of us today. Do a work in the midst of us today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. I'm going to hand back to the bishop here. Might be old enough to be a bishop, ain't one. Amen. Thank you, Howard. Okay, all right, we'll try that again. <laughs> hey, thanks, Pastor Howard, great word, challenging word, good to have a challenging word, amen? Yep, we spoil you too much here, we'll get you more often. <laughs> I'm sure we'd love to see you and your shirt and your wife uh, again sometime, we'll see you again. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. Amen. Good. Well, you've got an hour and then you're having a picnic. So have morning tea. That'll help you uh, get ready for a picnic. And uh, we'll hopefully see heaps of you there. That'll be great. And, um, yep, see someone you don't.